save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning, and welcome to Our Wild World. With CITES COP17 complete, the effects will begin to ripple out across the landscapes. There was very good news of uplisted protections for many species, but evidently some high-ticket value species didn't make the cut to Appendix 1. And this is to the deep worry and consternation of many African nations and global populations across the world. Elephants weren't given the full protections, so it's still a bit dodgy as to what that means for the live, wild, whole elephant. Seems we've decided that they can keep their ivory, but will still sell and trade them. High value also extended to lions, just not as we'd expected. Seems their value is in loving them in pieces. They were not uplisted to Appendix 1 either. And worse, CITES seems to find more value in captive farming of lions, an industry known for luring unwary tourists to raise lions that are ultimately to be killed by the trophy hunter's bullet. To add insult to injury, it's now okay to break them down and sell off their body parts, feeding the legal and illegal bone trade markets. The economics of trade is used by both those who are pro-trade and those who are not. Those who are pro-trade pro-trade, excuse me, say illegal markets will collapse if we can price compete with them. Those against trade say the illegal markets drive up demand, which populations, live populations, of these endangered animals simply cannot fulfill. No matter how hard we try to farm or breed them, the math just doesn't work. So today we're going to talk some of the economics of wildlife trade and markets, legal and illegal, with my guests Dex Kotza and Pippa Hankinson. Pippa is the momentum behind the film Blood Lions. Her journey was in exposing canned lion hunting and breeding for the cruel and unregulated industry that it is. Her story begins in Malawi, growing up surrounded by wildlife, then a move to South Africa and deep involvement in wildlife conservation organizations. Then, following a shocking visit to a lion breeding farm, she founded the production company Regulus Vision to produce the feature documentary Blood Lions. Dex has 30 years of experience in the world of conservation. He started the NGO Youth for African Wildlife, which is aimed at providing the knowledge and tools for the much-needed next generation of global ambassadors for endangered African wildlife. Both my guests have made tremendous strides in engaging the global audiences, especially our youth, through social media and film. Today, Dex is also a director of I'm sorry, Dex is also the director of South Africa's The Rhino Orphanage, and Pippa is the force behind Blood Lions. So why don't we just get started? Hello, Dex and Pippa. Hello, Lily. It's so great to have you here. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Pippa, you're going to help us understand why Blood Lions, why it was important to be at CITES, and then the rather depressing news that we didn't get what we wanted for lions. 
And Dex, you're going to help us understand some of the economics, the stats and statistics behind wildlife trade, both legal and illegal. So Pippa, let's start with you. Give us a little bit of your journey into blood lions and why blood lions at CITES. Ellie, um, firstly, thank you very much. It's wonderful to be with you this morning. And um, yes, I think that um, it was very important that Blood Lions was at CITES. Um, we were very fortunate in that we managed to get a stand there together with the NSPCA, um, which enabled me and and my colleagues um, to, to actually be part of, of the whole process there and to attend the the committee se- and the sessions, which was was amazing. Um, it's obviously CITES is a forum of global decision makers, so it was imperative that we were there, um, and we obviously were there to raise further awareness around captive lion breeding and canned hunting. So that was why it was so important. Um, and I think you know we were obviously hoping for an uplisting. Um, from CITES 2, at least Appendix 2 to Appendix 1. And we were hoping at, at you know, at sort of worst case scenario that we'd get a, a split listing, but neither of those happened. So obviously it was a huge disappointment um, at the shocking decision taken by the CITES committee. And many feel that uh, the CITES committees and the conservation community have failed African lions by not affording them greater per- protection. Um, so I think, you know, it, it was a it was a it was my first CITES uh, convention, so it w- it was quite an eye opener for me. And whilst there were a lot of successes for the increased protection on a number of the species, um, sadly lions did not feature. And um, I just remember Will Travis of Born Free Foundation. He perfectly summed it up when he said it was a small win for wild lions, but a very big loss for domestic lions, and that we've now enshrined South Africa's trade in their body parts. Good way to put it. And does this include, I'm not quite sure, because it was my first CITES, but I wasn't there. As you all know, I had a team of observers that um, connected with both of you there, and we've had some great discussions, so that's why we're bringing it forth on this program to uh, bring this news to a wider audience so that people understand, as Pippa said, CITES is the body of wildlife making decisions. Uh, You could compare it to the Copenhagen Climate Conferences or the G12. That's how important the decisions made here are. Fortunately, it meets every three years in a different place, so some of these decisions can be uh, overturned or adjusted. But in the meanwhile, the species that are so critically on these tipping points, elephants and lions and rhino, didn't quite make what we had hoped. So, um, Dex, give us a little background of, of you. That I, I believe this was your first CITES as well. And um, tell us what you were hoping to accomplish. Ellie, uh, yes, thanks for the opportunity to uh, be on your show and good morning to all your listeners. Um, it was my first... Uh, conference with the parties that I attended. Um, very interesting. CITES is, is a colossus. You know, it was started in the, in the 70s under the uh, direction of the IUCN. And this has now just been the 17th conference of the parties. So they meet roughly every three years. The next one's in Sri Lanka. Um, 183 member countries uh, are part of it. And this is the first time that the EU voted as a bloc. Um, 
obviously things, you know, it seems that things do take time. There's, this, you know, the party members, uh, each country sends their delegates. Some some countries have more than others. Um, what I saw from the list, for instance, America had about 50 delegates. South Africa had about 70. And then some countries have three or four. Um, and there's a lot of species that they decide on. And... <clears throat> One also has to sort of ask yourself when they vote, are they all as informed as they should be on certain decisions, especially when it, you know, decides the fate of what we've just discussed, the lions or the elephants or the rhinos or any of the other species. That's a really good point because we're going to get into this deeper because one of the uh, gentlemen we spoke to at CITES, an economist, was there and he gave us some great information that... There's really not many economists or any economists on the Secretariat. So, as you just said, we're making decisions about viable populations and survival into the future for many generations to come. Not just the next three years, but our children's grandchildren and further. And the votes and the resolutions or the dissatisfactions and uh, that were decided at the CITES are going to have very real impacts on lions and elephants and rhino right now, today, tomorrow. So do you think, Dex, with all the media attention and Pippa that was brought to the CITES, because there were so many delegates, it was a very important CITES, do you think it helped or do you think the delegates listened or do you think CITES has become sort of like, if you pay, you can play? Gosh, well, Dex, maybe you'd like to answer that one. <laughs> Ellie, I, I think I think you know it. As I said, it's a colossus of a of an organisation with 183 member countries, and it is essentially a trade organisation that regulates the trade uh, of wildlife, of fauna and flora. And You're right. It stands for the Convention on International Trade Trade of Endangered Species of Flora and Fauna. So Correct. it's not a conservation organization that we would like to think, but we were hoping yeah. that it could become more so. Yeah, it is, a, it, is a, it certainly is a treaty between countries. And I think one of the problems could potentially be the enforcement of um, rules. It's been apparent over years that there's been member countries that didn't abide by, by rules that where there's still a lot of illegal wildlife trafficking that takes place. And then, you know, they get maybe a year or so to fix things. And when they don't, they're under threat of sanctions. And then it gets announced that there's a threat. Uh, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't always kick in. So it, it might take a couple of years. And during those, those years, animals die uh, with illegal trade. Uh, societies have listed uh, the so-called Gang of 19 some, some time ago. It was originally the Gang of 11. And that got increased, I think, in Bangkok three years ago at the Conference of the Parties number 16 to a gang of 19 of countries that um, didn't enforce enough legislation and political will to, to you know, combat wildlife trafficking as, as it is. Um, so what we're facing so, here really is political will, a lack of political will. I mean, with some of the with some of the members, yes, there definitely could be a lack of political will. Um, you know, I think it is necessary for societies to exist. It's a it's it's a very good concept, a good treaty. 
But like any large organization, I've been in business for, for 30 years and any, uh, if, you, if you've got a big organization, it takes time to pull things together. And now you're talking about 183 different member countries, different languages, different cultures. Um, and what one, if one, you know, if some parties want to go left, some parties want to go right. So it's finding that middle way to make sure, as you correctly said, we can't think of these animals only for the next three years or one generation or two generations. We have to think for Mother Earth's future for many, many, many generations to come. And the human population uh, has doubled in our lifetimes and it is going to increase again in the next 85 years with a further three, uh, three or four billion people. Africa alone is a big problem. Africa's population will grow between now and 2050 with another 1.2 billion. It will double from 1.2. As as will other, um, I I don't like using the term third world. Let's call them developing nations and those nations that are getting a new middle-class economic wealth and upper-class economic wealth who can afford to um, spend money on these luxury items, lion bone wine, uh, trophy hunting, and, um, you know, tourism to go pet lions and get involved. uh, Pippa is going to help us with a bit more of that. So it's also important to remember that CITES is a volunteer member organization, this treaty. So what Dex talked about, law enforcement, the justice system needs a lot of work. Um, in terms of ensuring that the policies CITES set forth actually do get implemented and addressed. Um, As we've talked about previously over this program, wildlife crime, the illegal trafficking in in markets in wildlife parts, and live wildlife is now number four on the global economic scale, right up there with guns, drugs and human trafficking. So this has come to the world stage relatively recently, but it's been going on for a very long time. So that sort of leads us back to why the CITES was so important, why it had a lot of good news, but why it was also very distressing. But um, so uh, how um, about Ellie, we... Maybe, maybe, yeah, go maybe ahead, Pippa. I, just one thing, and maybe Dex, you can help me here, was um, I don't know, Ellie, if you are aware of the IUCN... Um, World Conservation Congress yes, that happened in, in Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we had a motion that was tabled there, motion 009, which called for the termination of the hunting of captive bred lions and other predators, and also captive breeding for commercial and non-conservation purposes. And we got this vote. There was a vote, an 82 or 83 percent vote in favour of this motion. So it was passed through. We went through the whole thing where it was it was tabled, it was accepted, it was then open to um, the, to IUCN members for comment, and then it was open for voting. And at the Congress, we had a, an overwhelming majority vote um, in in favour of terminating these practices. And so I was very curious as to why this didn't play out at all at the CITES conference. And maybe, Dex, you can explain that because I know that it's not enforceable, um, but I do believe that South Africa is still um, uh, 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 obliged to 
to report to the IUCN on this, but um, can you maybe you it, could just help just clarify? Well, you know, the, at, at the end of the day, the hunting lobbies and the uh, National Rifling Association of America um, is 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 a very very strong and powerful elite lobby uh, that have a huge amount of money available at their at their disposal, and you know the concept of hunting has been around for since the colonial days and one has to look at the numbers you know this is where you you have the real problem lions for instance there are less than 20,000 lions left in the wild yet uh, America has got well over 15 million registered hunters as an example and then other countries like some countries in South America Germany some countries in Europe also have strong hunting groups and the hunting habit hasn't been a huge part in Asia um, but they are to, to, to follow and what one needs to look at is besides the numbers of the lions you look at the numbers of the elephants the elephants at one stage we had over 10 million elephants in Africa uh, back in 1989 they had dropped from 1.3 million in 1979 to 1989 when the ban, international ban on ivory took place, it dropped to 600,000. Then elephants started to recover, but sadly they did two once-off sales in 1999 and in uh, 2008 as well, um, which, which was a huge problem because all, you know, this all relates to that dogma of old school thought um, you know one of the things is our Youth for African Wildlife NGO is not represented in decision making at the IUCN uh, or at, at um, uh, CITES yet it's their future that gets determined uh, by these decisions so it's this is mind boggling I mean of all the African nations were there 26, 28 African nations that 30, represent- 30 30 represented the African Elephant Coalition, consisting of 70% of the range. And a very, very surprising, uh, not surprising move, but a very um, deliberate move by Botswana uh, was to support the uplisting of elephants to Appendix 1. Now, just to give you an idea in, in terms of the elephant numbers, uh, the Great Elephant Census that was sponsored by Vulcan, which is Paul Allen from Microsoft, and they worked in collaboration with IUCN, over 80 scientists, and they worked for three years. But the savanna elephants, there are two types of elephants in Africa. You get the savanna elephant and you get the forest elephant. The savanna elephant had, have, have dropped uh, over the last eight years since the 2008 sale with a further 30%. So where the numbers at the moment is 352,000 savanna elephants from and there's roughly fifty to 60,000 forest elephants. Those are very difficult to count because they live in the forest in, in Central Africa and various countries. But the Southern African numbers are basically, uh, you know, you've got to understand the countries that want to sell ivory are South Africa, Namibia, Zimbabwe. Um, Botswana is against trade in ivory. And what one has to look at is, you know, this is always my argument, the amount of money over since 1989, say, or since 79, since CITES was established, to decide, do we trade the ivory, do we not trade ivory? And the same really applies to lions because it's all interconnected, same with the rhinos, is that um, billions are being spent on these conventions, people traveling, people that work with it, 
Uh, CITES have different uh, sub-organizations like Mike, which is the monitoring of illegal killing of elephants, ETIS, the Elephant Trade Information System, etc., etc., that, that you have. And then every country's got the CITES Management Authority. It's all people on the payroll. But what one looks at is in the 1999 sale, only Japan was allowed to buy ivory, and they bought ivory from South Africa, Namibia, Zimbabwe, and Botswana for $5.5 million. That's what they got. Then they decided to sell again in 2008. They and being CITES. The CITES members, yes. yes. Okay. So they decided again to sell ivory, again from Zimbabwe, South Africa, Namibia, and Botswana, and they sold 106 tons. South Africa got just over, just under $7 million. Botswana got just over $7 million. Namibia got $1.2 million. And, and Zimbabwe got $480,000, a total of $15.5 million that was sold. But immediately after that, poaching started spiking again. In fact, poaching started spiking before that, after the 1999 sale. Whereas the elephant populations recovered after 89, as soon as that once-off sale started again in 1999, it started creating the illusion that, oh, well, Ivory is going to be come back on the table and and become legal, and it's going to have, uh, you know, you can can invest. So people started hoarding. So and this, with this with, is what with we're that, talking also, about that it yeah. actually this is, these are the two arguments that are that are being discussed by pro and anti trade. That this the sale created a demand for ivory because it Absolutely. was leveled off. It, there was it, no demand it, for it, ivory. It, it, it created the demand for, for, but now in the meantime, many countries, including China and Hong Kong and America and Belgium and France and, and Kenya, uh, have destroyed ivory over the last few years in the region of about 250 tons to tell the world that these, you know, ivory belongs to an elephant because you cannot harvest ivory from an elephant. It, it dies. To right. get the ivory, the elephant has to die. And... We also have to really look at the exponential wealth that is, that is driving the ivory demand. The Environmental Investigation Agency, it's an NGO that's Washington, UK-based, have just recently report at CITES, released a report on the, um, the fact that the, the ivory sale of 1999 was actually not, uh, Japan wasn't approved by the Southeast Asia Director of Traffic. Their conclusion was that the systems weren't in place to regulate it, yet the conclusion was changed by higher-up people. And they had undercover video footage also of traders in Japan selling illegally to, especially to, to Chinese traders. Um, these these thinks, are... I've, I've seen one of those clips where the... The guys on the street are saying we don't buy from the government. It's far too expensive. It's much cheaper on the black market. That's it. And, and you know, one, one has to really look at, you know, for me it's a question of you don't have to be an economist uh, to realize that 7.4 billion people versus 412,000 elephants in Africa that have historically over the last 500 years, reduced with 100 to 120 a day. And they're still reducing with roughly 90 to 100 a day. The lions, Pippa can give you the more accurate numbers, but easily a quarter of a million lions, wild lions roamed Africa plains probably 80, 90 years ago. Now we've got about 18,500 left. 
Um, yeah, that's right. I mean, there's been a ninety percent drop in the last fifty years. So, yeah. So what you're you know, saying same, here? So what you're saying same. here is, let me um, just interrupt one second. I'm sorry. So that the money gained, I'm going to back up from the sales of these ivories over the past year, um, was a pittance in comparison to what we spend, not only on CITES, the conference, and all its in-country, on-the-ground enforcement management. Um, mm. subsidiaries, but also in terms of what we spend on conservation efforts, billions, that still, if we allow this trade, the money gained does not compare to what we spend on protection and law enforcement. Nowhere near, nowhere near. I mean, you know, the monitoring... It, it, it could never, you know, the, 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 this is a problem where, unfortunately, a lot of times in the media, you read, especially now during before and after COP, um, they report, I mean, I see false reports by media saying that those, those three countries, South Africa, Namibia, and Botswana, as ivory is worth billions. It's not worth billions. Even in, the new, new, in, in press in Zimbabwe, they quote the minister of saying that they own 96,000 tons, which is not 96,000 tons, they own 96 tons or 95 tons. 96,000 tons is the equivalent of 5 million elephants roughly, you know, so they don't, they definitely don't have, and they say it's worth 10 or 15 billion dollars, which is not. The stockpiles of those three countries is ivory. If it had to go on auction, the stigma attached with buying the ivory will reduce it like in 2008 to three companies. And it might be worth $50, $60 million. So that really is nothing compared to the overall scheme of things. So pushing for a legal trade in live wildlife, elephants and lions and captive breeding and selling off their parts is not going to cover the debt that these countries think it's going to cover, let alone will it ever reach true conservation efforts anti-poaching, the rural poor communities who live with these animals. It seems CITES might be a little disconnected, which is the argument that's been going on, from the reality that working simply in numbers and dollars doesn't equate to the live animal and the global shift in how we view wildlife. This, 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 is, this is sadly true, you know, with the lions. If you think of 18,500 wild lions, um, the amount of wild lions that exist are less than the members of, for instance, Safari Club International. They've got about 55,000 members globally. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, America's got roughly 15 million registered hunters. So, you so, know, whether so the, numbers, do the, the numbers don't gel up. Yeah, so do the math. It's the, it, it, it doesn't add up. There simply are not enough animals to provide or to supply this demand. So, unfortunately, we got to step away for a break. This is a fascinating conversa- conversation. So, listeners, stick with us because Pippa's going to come up and she's going to add the whole lion picture to this. So, we've got a really good understanding of the disconnect that's going on and the money involved and an understanding of some of the economics going on. So we'll be right back with my guests, Dex Kotza and Pippa Hankinson. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. 
VoiceAmerica.com. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss, Our Wild World, and my guests, Dex Kotza and Pippa Hankinson with Blood Lions. So, Pippa, in playing off of what Dex talked about in our in the previous part of this episode, help us understand what the CITES decisions mean for lions. Ellie, uh, it's, it's, it's very concerning. Um, I think that whilst we've got better protection for wild lions, um, I, I don't. I, I think there are growing concerns around the legalization of trade in captive lion body parts, and to the the feeling that this is going to stimulate or promote poaching, which is of course you know all about the illegal trade, and. Um, so, and then many are worried that this will stimulate the demand for wild lion bones through the through poaching, um, which will obviously lead to a decline in the in the wild lion populations. And this is really really worrying. Um, and then aside from that is the growing corruption, um, and that you know by legalizing it, these loopholes around you know the, the sort of regulations, the regulatory framework within which the legal trade will work, will just widen. Um, I mean, we, I was hearing when I was at the con- convention about um, source codes having been manipulated, and the source codes are where the lions actually come from. So, um, for example, you might have a, a number with the, the, the letter W, which would stand for wild lion 
um, or wild population. And then, for example, and I'm, I know there are a whole lot of source codes, but C could maybe stand for captive. And these are being manipulated. And I mean, my big concern is how on earth are the, are the officials ever going to be able to differentiate between wild and domestic um, lion bones, for example. I mean, it's just, it's, it's crazy. Exactly. Um, so, like with elephants, on this program before, we, we had some of the specialists who did DNA marking of ivory. So, we could at least track, it's a dead elephant, it's the ivory, but where the trade routes were coming from, whether it was going to terrorism or whether it was going to Asia, and down to where these elephants literally came from. Um, when they were alive. So we don't have any of that, that in place for lion bones, do we? No. But I suppose the, the one positive outcome from the convention is that lion, captive lions are now literally there they're on the agenda, which they weren't before. You know, tigers have been on the agenda for, Dex, I stand under correction, but I think around 20 years. And for the first time this year, they've actually decided to, you know, to close down on the captive tiger breeding industry in China. But that just adds another pressure onto our uh, lion populations, I think. You know, we're already hearing from conservationists and lion researchers in southern Africa that um, poaching has escalated dramatically in the last year or so, um, and that it's body parts, you know, that are, that are being taken, and that it's the same guys that are, are doing the rhino poaching and the elephant poaching for the ivory and, and the horn are, are killing the lions at the same time and very often burying the, the carcasses and coming back for them. So, yeah, absolutely, the transnational crime that's taking place. Uh, the same players on wildlife, on drugs and human trafficking, and it's just another commodity. It's their illegal underground businesses, and they're just sourcing more and more products that goes in the same gravy train to legal markets. Um, you know, the, the, the tiger back in 1993, under the threats of sanctions on the, under the Clinton administration, China decided to ban rhino and uh, rhino, rhino, domestic rhino on trade as well as uh, the, the tiger bone farming industry. But it, it, didn't, it didn't die. It went underground. And China today has six or 7,000 tigers in tiger wine farm uh, facilities. Vietnam has also grown. We saw at uh, a side event that was shown at COP two weeks, uh, in the first week of COP 17, that the tiger farms in Vietnam is now growing. Uh, at a massive yeah. rate. So, well, so look, and there I need are, to understand we, 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 here. And what we, I'm there's sorry. not enough. There's not enough tigers in the wild, so they're doing that. But there's also not enough from that. So, so lion bone is a substitute right. for right. The, for the tiger derivatives to create, like the tiger glue, and they use that for 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 different traditional medicines. But they, like rhino, and they're also using these these items as jewelry. Right. So, right. what we need so, to understand here, an important point is that the tiger bone industry was relatively shut down at the last CITES. But they didn't apply that to lions. In fact, they approved it. So we're going to see more lion bones entering legal and illegal markets because it puts pressure on wild lions because the Asian prefers, the, and most people prefer the wild. It's like you don't want okay. a knockoff, a captive. It doesn't have the same, let's call it, chi um, the yeah. spirit of the wild. So it's going to put pressure. So the other thing to understand is that these 
wild, illegal wildlife trade markets, the cartels, all this dark underbelly of the wildlife trade, they're not just selling one species. They have a mix. We're talking vultures. We're talking beaks. We're talking skulls, hyena, lion, tiger, cheetah, leopard, elephant. It's how can CITES even begin to consider that this metric of this kind of a market can even be monitored? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, I, I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, the draft decisions on the, on the um, proposal has come back. And, and one of the things, they, I mean, there are a number of things that they have to do. But one of the, the main things is that they have South Africa now, CITES, the CITES Secretariat has put pressure onto South Africa to come up with a lion quota. And in order to do that, they've got to now have proper statistics. They've got to have research projects done, um, all sorts of things that they've got to come up. They've got to um, develop, develop a proper joint lion conservation plan, um, an inventory of all African lion populations across the range states. And we're talking um, wild lions because South yeah, Africa yeah. has been known to include their captive lions in their overall lion numbers well the the, well, the captive the captive lions in south africa is roughly seven eight thousand whereas your wild lions are less than three and a half thousand but yeah. the canned lion thing is the wild is, lion is, population is, in south africa is a viable really important genetic pool they're genetically different than the lions absolutely and, and south africa south africa's uh, f- f- you know funds that they get from tourism like other countries in Africa for ecotourism to go on safari people want to see the big five it's huge you know it's it's much 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 bigger than what the canned line industry can yield the, the mm. sad thing about the canned line industry is that you get you get the breeders that are breeding these lions and taking away the cubs when they're between 3 and 12 days old away from the lionesses then the lionesses come back into oosters and they breed again. And then they get yeah, gullible, ignorant, young, or not necessarily always young, but they get tourists coming in and saying to them, well, come and have a look, come and look after these cubs while they, they still cute and, and not uh, dangerous. And it's all in the name of conservation. It's not in the name of conservation. And in fact, thanks to, to, to bloodlines exposing the canned line industry, the um, Professional Hunting Association of South Africa has distanced itself so, from the canine industry. So let's let's hand over to Pippa because this is Pippa. This has been your life for the past several years, really bringing focus, drawing attention to what the canned lion hunting, canned lion industry is about. That normally it ends up in these lions being at the other end of a bullet, and mm. it's kind of for kicks and giggles that we think we can do this to an iconic species. So. It, it brings up the question, you know, what's industrializing wildlife? What's the difference between a lion, a rhino, a pig, a chicken, a cow? Well, I think there is a difference. One, the wild species are wild. We had nothing to do with domesticating them, but we are trying to market them as commodities. An industrialized yeah. vision of pieces, parts for sale. So, Pippa, give us... Let's let's get into some of your journey. 
Yeah, just um, before we do that, Ellie, I think, you know, that this whole thing is, is it's nothing to do with conservation, as Dick said. It's purely a commercial, very brutal commercial operations, these. Um, there's, you know, the lions themselves are, are just being totally, the thing that shocked me and what got me into it was when I first got onto one of these farms. And, you know, I think as South Africans, we all knew that it was happening, but None of us, or I certainly had no idea that this, of the scale that it was happening. And my first um, awareness was going onto these farms and just seeing these just rows upon rows upon rows of, of captive bred animals all in together. And the a very apparent inbreeding. Um, there were elongated faces, crossed eyes. One big male got up and very short legs, the stress, the welfare issues around it. Um, there are no proper conservation protocols. There are no welfare protocols. And it was just hugely, hugely distressing. And I'm going to um, assume there's no lion genetic protocols like they would do, let's say, with a zoo. With a, with, as far as record books are concerned, no, there was nothing like that. We were told by the, this, uh, the Predator Breeder Association that one of their members was keeping record books, but we certainly didn't come across that at all. And very little veterinary care as well. Um, we've interviewed you know, many, many volunteers, and not one of them had seen a vet in the entire time that they'd been at these places. And they, they pay, I mean, as Dex was saying, it's, you know, it's, it's misleading marketing. Um, and in some cases, that goes so far as saying it's fraudulent marketing. The, you know, they're saying that these cubs are orphaned, and they're certainly not. You know, as Dex said, they're taken away within the first week of birth. Um, so that the mother will go into rapid east, um, uh, rapid breeding cycle. She'll go back into estrus. So it's got nothing to do with orphan cubs at all. Um, visitors and volunteers alike are told that um, the lions are going to be rehabilitated into the wild. And that's not true. It's really not true. The um, lion ecologists that we've spoken to, very, very few lions have actually been rehabilitated into the, into the wild. And that leads me to something that you said earlier about st our stable populations. Our wildland populations in South Africa are stable. And so there's absolutely no reason why anybody would go to the huge expense and the time that it takes to rehabilitate a, a lion when they can, you know, get perfectly um, genetically healthy animals from, from wild, um, wild reserves and, and, and move them. And that brings in, you know, the donor, the international NGO donor funding community. We think we're supporting lion conservation, which we assume or presume means wild lions. So this, this fraudulent breeding of lions, um, which differs than breeding of rhino, and maybe we have time to get into that or another show, that, um, as Pippa just said, none of that is tracked. These canned lions have no conservation value. They're wonderful yeah. animals. They have personalities. They have characters. When you get to meet one, of course, you're going to fall in love. Very well, rarely do we get a chance to meet a lion up close. And you can understand the lure for voluntourism to get of their course. hands on a lion. But the whole point of this program and what we're trying to help our listeners understand is wildlife needs us to keep our hands off of it, especially yeah. lions. So um, I think I, I think what I'd like to say is there's been a, a, the sometimes deliberate blurring of the li the lines between 
captive lions and, and wild lions. And uh, this must be very clearly made um, when talking about captive hunting, canned hunting. For example, a long, for a long time, canned hunting in our legislation is illegal. But for a long time, the government and the Professional Hunters Association at that time were saying that captive lion hunting was fine. And when we asked them what the difference was, because really we couldn't understand, I mean, it, it's called high-fenced hunting, it's called canned hunting, it's called captive hunting. And, um, A whole they, lot of euphemisms. Yeah, and, and they, well, they were unable to, to, to tell us what the difference was. I mean, they said that canned hunting was illegal. And when we asked them what captive hunting was, you know, it was, or at least canned hunting was, you know, illegal was where lions can't get away. And yet captive hunting was fine. So, you know, in, in, we question that. Um, I mean, in Northwest Province, the, the, the captive hunting, this industry is in four provinces of the nine provinces across South Africa. And where the problem lies is that legislation, a policy is set at national level, um, but implemented at provincial level. And there are four provinces that actually... Um, uh, condone or, or uh, practice captive lion breeding and canned hunting. But each province has different norms and standards and different regulations around it. So um, one of the regulations is what they call a put-and-take law or put-and-take regulation where they um, put a lion, captive bred lion, into a large enclosure and then they take it by hunting it or shooting it. We don't call it hunting. So they shoot it. And in, for example, in the Free State Province, that's a 30-day put-and-take regulation. Whereas what does that in Northwest, mean, 30 days? The lion has 30 days to get used to its to To enclosure? become, ostensibly, to become a wild lion. Uh-huh. Um, whereas in Northwest Province, it's literally four days. It's 96 hours. And there's absolutely no way that that can be classified as a wild lion hunt. So, so this, there, is, this is the problem that you get. Ellie, you get, you get the, the lion growing up used to people and vehicles, uh, especially as they do get older, they, they get uh, fed from vehicles. So when they then released in that specific province for four days or three days or two days, the hunter comes in. Sometimes you get elderly hunters that shoot. They don't even walk. They shoot from the vehicle. And the lion sees a vehicle and expects food. Right. So it comes close to the vehicle and then, and then gets a bullet. And we, we talked um, about this previously, so I really would like our listeners to go back and check the links on our previous conversations about this. But recently there was also uh, an extraordinary expose of a film released of one of these captive hunts. Ten guys, three days, ten or more lions. How could this possibly be called a hunt? So the filmmaker um, released this to the public and it really blew the lid off the can once again as if Blood Lions wasn't enough. So um, let's just do, a, we've, we've still got a, a bit of time here. Let's, um, Pippa, tell us a little bit more of how this pressure is going to ripple out, of the, this decision by CITES is going to ripple out on Wild Lions. One could say that for the trophy hunting industry, if people must get their thrills and excitement by killing a lion, would it not be better to kill a captive lion than a wild lion? Ellie, I, I don't think that any um, ethical hunter 
would be happy with that, quite honestly. Um, I don't know, Tor, we know in the, in the film we interviewed a couple of, of um, hunters across the board. Um, we came across um, one of them at the um, uh, SCI conference in Vegas. And um, somebody came up to our cameraman and said, you know, did we know that there was somebody at the conference who opposed captive lion breeding because they heard some of the questions that we'd been asking. And so um, we then made contact and they had actually had a plaque on their, their stand at the SCI conference saying we do not support or condone um, captive lion hunting. And they were one of four members, at least seven members, which um, distanced themselves from captive lion breeding because they said it wasn't ethical um, and they didn't support it in any way, in any form. And, you know, one questions how many of the hunters actually know that they're being that they are shooting captive animals when they came. You know, that, um, well, that, in that footage film of that the, was released, it seems like they didn't know. That's that was and, my and, impression as and well. And that they fell for it, that they decided to keep the blinders on. Like after yeah. the first day and getting five lions, maybe they started to say, wow, this has been very easy. To, these yeah. lions are just popping out all over the place. And in on safari, we've all been on safari and in huge tracts of lands, wild lions are not that easy to come by. They don't no. just pop out everywhere. It takes a while um, to look for them. So yeah. that, that Ellie, can I sort of also on your question, hunting wild versus captive, and yeah, maybe please. you know the. So obviously, you always get the hunter that would prefer to 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 shoot a wild lion. But in essence, the big problem is you've already got human wildlife conflict. That uh, Africa is growing with another three billion people over the next uh, 85 years. You know, uh, Africa's population at now is 1.2, is growing to 4.2 to 4.4 billion in in the next 85 years, which is certainly in the lifetime of some of the listeners. And then you have climate change that's affecting with droughts and so forth. So with an expanding African population and this, you know, there's also the uh, um, wealth that's, increasing in Asia uh, tremendously. You know, Asia's economy is going to be double America's economy by, by 2050. That's 34 years from now. Um, so if all of a sudden you get hunting picking up as a hobby in Asia because, is you know, it, the lions don't stand a chance. Um, yeah. and Neither do the even, elephant or the rhino. Correct. Yeah. And, and even with captive uh, bred hunting, you know, no matter how immoral and unjust and unethical it is, uh, you're always, you, you know, you just have to take a percentage of hunters. I know a lot of hunters that will hunt for the pot, they'll hunt a buck or an antelope, but they won't hunt an elephant, they won't hunt a lion, they won't hunt a rhino, they won't hunt a leopard or a cheetah. So no, no um, hunting. Well, it, as, it, as it brings into the, this point this utilization and how mm. we're defining utilization. Well, I this grew is up where it's just that you utilized what you killed an antelope and elk because we could eat it, it would feed the family. I don't have a problem with that kind of hunting, that kind of ethic, living off the land and giving back to the land. But this commodification, industrialization of mm -hmm. 
it's, I can't even call them wild lions. It's just commodification of an animal to satisfy human greed. I, we've taken a wrong turn. And CITES seems to have also taken a wrong turn. For all the good it did for many species this year, it took a very wrong turn for lions. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Pretty so, much on So this is something, Dex I, and, and Pippa, I have a question for you. We've got um, maybe five, six minutes left here, so and, and so much ground to cover. Do you think CITES, as it stands now, and with what we saw come out of this recent COP17, do you think it's relevant to the changes and the paradigm shifts that have happened over the last 10 years, 50 years, that the planet is no longer what it was 50 years ago, climate change, human population, uh, carbon, all the things that are affecting how our planet's core functions work. Do you think CITES is catch- and the Secretariat is catching up to relevancy of today's uh, global perception of how we coexist and respect the wild? Ellie, I think, look, CITES is, is important, um, but I do think that the times have changed tremendously since CITES was established in the, in the mid-70s. And I also think that more emphasis could potentially be on involving youth uh, around the globe with CITES and CITES decisions. They also have to have a real good look at the massive... Um, internet e-commerce that allows for laundering and illegal wildlife uh, that takes place globally. There's a, there's a lot of, you know, they need to have a bit of a paradigm shift and concentrate on more issues that is changing with technology. I mean, to give you an idea how to explain it, um, China has over 720 million internet users. Japan has got 120 million internet users. Vietnam's got 49 million internet users. So, um, you know, there's a Japanese NGO that has that, that established that the ivory trade has spiked exponentially over the last eight years, especially, I mean, Yahoo Japan is still selling a lot of um, ivory. On, and, so so need, and so is the U.S. And so is the U.S. as well, exactly. And so the is the EU U.S. And, and the United and, Arab and, Emirates. And, They're also and the ivory. EU. That's the point. You know, and then CITES needs to have a look at it and say, but you know what, guys? We, we've got another 4 billion people coming onto the planet, and the animals are decreasing in numbers. And you've got this uncontrollable sort of trade that already they can't, even pre-internet, uh, days they were struggling to control it. Now it's just getting more and more and more difficult. So yes, there were uh, certainly they were there, there were various discussions on transnational uh, crimes and so forth. So I uh, think there needs to to be a bit more um, on that. Yeah. So Dex, you've helped us understand that a growing population, um, an increase in economic wealth and status of previously uh, lesser wealth nations, um, how it's detrimental to the wildlife trade. Pippa, in your case with Blood Lions, this increase of access through social media has really helped your cause. Yes, it has, Ellie. We've, we've just been absolutely blown away by how it's helped. I mean, not only just on social media, but 
with hunting groups um, changing their stance on on on, on uh, captive bred hunting. Um, we've had huge support from ecotourism company uh, 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 country, uh, companies, sorry, organisations across the world. And a lot of conservation bodies have come out in statements. African Lion Working Group has come out um, in support of us. So we've had huge, um, a very positive reaction to it. And um, but our social media is enormous. I mean, we've. It, in, I think we've achieved amazing success with that. We've got over forty thousand um, viewers on our on our Facebook page, and people follow us on social media now. And there's no doubt about it that social media is creating a transparency across the world on issues um, that every uh, the the people in on the street are are becoming aware of issues um, through social media and through film. And so I think that we must just continue. Um, to, to, to build on that we have to if CITES is going to be in Sri Lanka it's quite interesting because they don't accept wildlife utilisation as such and, or trophy hunting and they've set aside 30% of their country for conservation purposes so I think it will be a very different CITES conference and from the bloodlines perspective we need to simply we need to get a lot stronger we need to get a lot louder and more strategic and I'd, that's I'd our plan going forward I'd say that that's the strategic plan for all conservation and yeah. changing conservation to from something that's being implemented and decided by large political bodies into something that each individual takes up as a life way. So right. um, really, we have our work cut out for us. We thought lions were going to have a good year. A lot of changes were made. The ESA listing and um, the ban on ivory and the ban on rhino horn trade. But... Obviously, we still have a lot to do. So, listeners, please check out the website, bloodlions.org. It's not just a film. It is a campaign that needs your voice to add to it. Also, as Dex said, our youth is incredibly important at no more important critical time in our human history than it is now with a growing population and a growing population of young people we need conservationists we need people around the world to pick up this torch and this banner and say we will not do this anymore times have changed so please visit youth for africa that's why for africa wildlife dot org i believe um dot com dot com Look up Dex, D-E-X, Kotza, K-O-Z-T-E, and Pippa Hankinson, and Blood Lions. And unfortunately, we're out of time today. Thank you both so much for this conversation. Thank you, Ellie. Ellie, thank you. It was wonderful. I would love to pick it up again. We have so much more to talk about. Um, Dex, you're an amazing walking cyclopedia of facts, so maybe we can... uh, pick this up again and Pippa definitely in the future uh, we'll be talking with Ian we're going to spend some time on the lion issue so maybe we can come back and see where blood lions is in a few months from now and how it's uh, swept across the planet but in the meantime we have to sign off so I leave you with these words step outside think about it and check in with our wild world Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week 
and what you can do right now. 